Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We just had a power failure just as the show was about to start. So anyway, I think we're connected to the station and uh, we're ready to go. Uh, hopefully that won't happen again. We've, we've got quite a show planned for you. We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 19, gone all the way up through uh, Matthew 18, where, of course, we were talking about who is greatest in the kingdom and uh, the parable of the lost sheep and... Uh, the unforgiving servant and uh, the nature of taking an accounting in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God was at hand, it was within your reach, and uh, it was up to us to be seeking it and persevering in that seeking of it. And, of course, we're to be seeking not only the kingdom, but the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God was different than the theoretical righteousness of Herod and the Pharisees. And Jesus actually came, you know, people think that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is where you go after you die. But Jesus said he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees who were sitting in the seat of Moses, which was a government was supposed to be a government of the people, for the people, and by the people who were following the way of God. But they had strayed from that way with their Corbin, and uh, which was making the word of God to none effect, that was set up by Herod and the Pharisees. A same system was, a similar system was set up in Rome, and it was causing the Rome to de- degenerate as uh, the, the empire that it was. It was bringing in morality and corruption, and we're going to see that in Matthew 19. And, of course, we've seen evidence of it. The idea of the parable of the unforgiving servant and w- will be repeated in other Gospels, actually in other verses Okay, Matthew 19. It really is a part of Matthew 18. And uh, they talk about this in a a number of different places, that it's a continuation. Uh, But it gets into the area of, almost right away, it gets into this area of, uh, you know, the sacred uh, divine institution of the family and divorce. You know, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And, of course, God created the institution of the family for the purposes of the kingdom. God, in the beginning, created the male and female for a particular purpose. And that is actually why we see such an attack on the role of the female, the woman, and the role of the man who is the male in this Union. I mean, obviously, animals are created male and female, even earthworms, who are almost the only example, well, I shouldn't say only, it's one of the most predominant examples of a creature that can be male and female. And But when they mate, 
they still carry out the role of male and female. And mating has to do with procreation. This is one of the amazing things about life on planet Earth is that things replicate themselves. They recreate themselves as a combination of these two different creations, male and female. And there are things that do simply replicate themselves with no sexual interaction between the male and female of the species. But this idea of coming together is absolutely essential to the whole scheme of creation itself. And, of course, man was given dominion in the garden of all this creation, you know, the animals, the flora, the fauna. And if we really were not fallen creatures, as we have become, because we have stopped eating of the tree of life and started eating of the tree of knowledge, this altered the nature and state of mankind. And that altering of our state, the connection that we have with the, the divine, right reason, uh, the law of nature, the divine will, which we connect through this thing in the Hebrew we call the Yod, the divine spark, that reveals things to us that we don't simply know by the knowledge of our minds and, uh, you know, the, the five senses uh, of our body that we smell and touch and feel. And, of course, we talk about the book of Matthew being a product of revelation and the other books of the Bible as being a product of this revelation, this which Jesus talks extensively about, that he's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's going to write upon our hearts and upon our minds. He's going to show us the way. Because you can't really follow the way simply by intellectually reading the Bible. If you can do that, then you're back eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in this this gospel of the kingdom that Matthew is writing about, in this chapter 19, he starts off with his teaching concerning the family. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings that we had covered in Matthew 18, and actually in Matthew 17, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea, beyond the Jordan. Now, all this is taking time, walking these distances when he's coming back from whatever mountain the transfiguration took place on. We discussed that, that he comes back by a certain way, and he's headed to Galilee. So that gives us an idea of what mountain, but these is taking days and days of travel of walking along with the apostles. Now we will see in the epistles how when uh, Paul comes to a particular you know, he's on a ship and he lands at a particular uh, coastal city and then he meets with families there. He stays several days and he walks to another town along the beach and as he's walking, the families follow him from one town to the next. And they're traveling along. 
and this is and having conversations with them and learning all kinds of things that aren't in the biblical text. They're referred to in the biblical text. They're they're referenced in you know by Paul, by uh Peter, by James, by the four gospels. But if you don't understand the context in which they are walking, you may not understand actually what is going on in the text itself. What he is talking about in the text himself. So, he's departed Galilee. He's come along the coast of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him. And he healed them there. Healed many of the people there. There are people coming to him all the time. Now, obviously, there are cases where people come to him and want to be healed. And he's they're not getting healed. Because he says, your faith has saved you. Some of the people following don't really have faith. Some of the people that are following him, are, we know, they tell us, are following him to trip him up, to get him into trouble. To get him executed. They want, they're plotting his death. Well, they may have a limp. They may be blind. And of course they are blind. That's why they're plotting his death. They're not healed. So the idea that everybody who walked down the beach with him was healed doesn't really match up with common sense or even the text. And so, Uh, We see the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, that word lawful, we're going to see Jesus use that word in Matthew 20. Is it not lawful for me to do with mine own what I will? So they're asking him, is it lawful for him to put away his wife for every cause? Very important, every cause. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that ye which made them at the beginning made them male and female? So he just navigated around the trap question. He knew it was a trap question. We see that often. He knew what they were thinking. And he said, weren't they made male and female to begin with? And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So, we see this statement, but if we unpack that statement in the context of the day, and that statement did not really actually answer their question, except that he's saying, let no man put it asunder, have no divorce. He's not in favor of divorce at all. Now, we'll see in the subsequent verses why they had divorce and where it came from. It didn't come from God. It wasn't a part of God's plan. But it was allowed 
because for people especially who are not following God's plan to begin with. And almost every case of divorce, one or more of the couple that forms that family union are not following the ways of God. And we're going to see, you know, a cultural reference. You know, I put it together a long time ago, but I went and added a great deal to it. Why there were still some cultures around at that time that had almost no divorces whatsoever. And they had very strong families. Now, this wasn't the case in Rome, which we'll see. And it wasn't the case in Judea, which we will see. Which the Pharisees were knowing that there was a lot of divorce going on at that particular time. There was a lot more than just divorce going on. And we'll see that from different uh, historians who wrote about that time. As we examine this idea of what is actually being conversed. See, when you're seeing this question in the biblical text, if you don't know what was going on in Judea, you won't know how significant that was. And why... Jesus answered it in the particular way that he did. And we'll see here in verse 7. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put it her, to put her away, to separate her? And then we have to understand what uh, the, the divorcement was. You could divorce your wife But you still had to take care of her. You still had to provide for her. You know, there there were cases where they actually took a wife back to the the original family. But certainly not when there were children involved. And they they had to take care of it. If they wanted to have another wife, they might have another wife. Although every place we see that happen in the Bible... Serious, serious problems resulted, some of which are still plaguing us today, you know, with, uh, with, uh, going back to Abraham and, you know, him taking a second wife, though his wife was begging him to do that, then it ended up ending badly and it still plagues us today. But he says, he saith, Unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So this is a very profound thing. So there was no intention of divorce from the beginning. Why is there so much divorce going on in Judea at that particular time? Why is there so much divorce going on in Rome at that particular time? Well, we can go and look at other cultures at that particular time where there was no divorce. Almost none whatsoever. There were no orphans whatsoever. There was no abortion whatsoever. What was going on in those societies that were so close to the way it was from the beginning and what was going on in the societies of Rome and Judea and much of the Roman Empire? where divorce was becoming increasingly a problem. So, 
Anyway, in in the side notes on, on the page, which you can read all our pages at Preparing You. If you're listening to this in a podcast, you can go to Preparing You. See the side notes, and we have footnotes to lots of other supporting articles. You know, I'll make reference to some of it here. It says, the health and moral traditions of early Rome were maintained by the discipline of the family, resting on supreme authority of the father which they call patria potestas in the Latin, that authority of the father, patria potestas, potestas meaning a certain kind of authority. And the powerful influence of the mother to whom the early training of the child was entrusted. Now, that's from the writings of Tacitus. It was written at that time. And he wrote a lot of other things, which we'll look at when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after another break. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, we're we're looking at this Matthew 19. And uh, I was just reading you what Tacitus was saying about what made Rome so strong. Why did it rise to becoming a great nation, a powerful nation? Because actually at the time of Jesus Christ, it was in decline already. It had a great deal of power. It was spending huge amounts of money, but that money was coming from other people. We, we've talked about this. Julius Caesar had introduced, they had changed the way in which their military operated. They changed the way in which their economy operated. And uh, Julius Caesar was now uh, going out and enslaving millions of people, killing millions of people. And then that money was pouring in and providing welfare for the Roman people, free bread and circuses, entertainment. You know, building roads, building harbors, because they had all this money flowing in. But the money was coming in because they were taking away from others. They were coveting what others had to the point of enslaving millions of people. Just the idea of a core V system where you would put a nation under tribute. The people in a particular nation had to pay in money to Rome, to provide protection for Rome. And that tribute was a taxation. That was bad. But to go in and invade countries, murder millions of people, sell a million people into slavery as they did with Gaul, this was evil. Rome, we talk about Rome as a great nation. That was evil. That was Rome doing a great evil. And there were people in Judea who had invited Rome. This was before Gaul, before Julius Caesar, had it back with Pompey, had invited Rome into Judea to establish who was the rightful king of Judea in a government that actually existed on the earth at that time, created originally by Moses, gone through a lot of changes, some of them really bad. But now there were two men vying to become king. One, uh, 
Hyrcanus, and the other one, Aristobulus. And Aristobulus invited in Pompey. And Pompey came, eventually did not side with Aristobulus, thought that Hyrcanus had a better claim. And, and very appropriately, Hyrcanus said, no, I can't make a treaty with you because it's against our laws. Pompey had already looked at their laws and saw this, accepted it, because he was a man of law. What was lawful, which we see there the Pharisees talking about what is lawful. Now, what what do we mean by lawful? Do we mean statutory or do we mean the law of nature created by God? And, of course, Jesus is quoting the law of nature from the beginning One man, one woman, no one shall separate them. That's the way it was. That's in the law of nature. And Rome was following the law of nature a great deal in the beginning of the Republic, which was 500 years earlier than this. Law happened in that 500 years. Pompey came, Pompey went. Polybius came, Polybius went. There were no Caesars for over 400 years in the Roman Republic. There were some councils who got more power. Senate got more power. But the same was going on in Judea. The Sanhedrin, chosen through the people by Moses, appointed by Moses through the people, was not a legislative body. It was not lawmakers. It was representatives. Representatives of the Holy Spirit in their conscience and representatives of the people. It was such a body that came out to meet Alexander the Great when he came there. And Alexander the Great reportedly knelt down at their presence because they were the earliest republic known in history today. That early government system set up by Moses. The courts were in the hands of the people. The appeals courts were in the hands of the priests. But the social welfare was also in the hands of the people. That from the bottom up. And the social welfare was managed by the priests and the ministers in a network of people who could say, I don't want this priest anymore. I don't want this minister. I don't want this Levite. He is not my minister. I'm going to pick one that I think is more uh, reasonable. We just heard on the news before the show started, somebody complaining about bishops bringing in immoral practices. And they're trying to bring this attention in. And the bishopric is saying it doesn't matter. And they don't have any power to change the bishop because the bishops in that church it comes from the top down. But the ministers in the church established by Moses, the church in the wilderness, were from the bottom up. Now, there were priests that existed way up at the top, but they could not exercise authority one over the other. The the stones of the altar, the living altar, that Moses was creating, that Abraham had created before him, where men gathered together in a council of friends. I just added to our page on one accord. 
this morning. I was up early and, and working on that page. And in the course of that page, I put in at least one line that said that uh, that if if you still think that the altars of clay and stone were about piling up rocks and burning up sheep, you might need to read our article on the sacrifice of sophistry. As we go through there and show you in the Hebrew, in the actual meaning of the words, that they weren't just piling up rocks, dead stones, and upon which they would bring sheep and burn them up, one sheep after another, you know, a million people bringing in sheep, burning up all these sheep. And somehow or other, that was what Moses was telling him. That is an absolute fiction and delusion. And if you believe that still, you're going to have a hard time understanding the Corbin of Christ. Because Corbin was around in the Old Testament. That was what you sacrificed. That was the Corbin of Moses. That the people were to bring to these altars. Which, same word for that gathering of stones, is a gathering of friends. Same word. And but go read the article, because we'll get off track here, and we won't get far enough in in this Matthew 19. But that was where each family from their own tent worshipped God by contributing to a network of charity that bound the people together with social bonds. And if you change the nature of that sacrifice, you change the nature of society. And as, as Tacitus was writing, back there 2,000 years ago, that family was the key. And Christ is saying the same thing here. That this family, nothing should break up that family. Nothing should cause anybody to put a, be put away. And he says in verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, this is actually about that great domestic relationship of husband and wife. And they were trying to figure out what what this is all about, and that, and they'll get into more talk about this in verses 10. But let's keep exploring this idea. Divorce had been rare in Judea and at one time was even rare in Rome. So what was the cause of this increased amount of divorce? Where did that come from? Well, it actually came from their system of Corbin. And if we read on farther, the moral of society and the permanency of marriage were in decline in Judea. And it was because of the Corbin of the Pharisees, at least in part. Uh, it was a major contributing factor. A historian of the time writes, the sanctity of marriage had ceased. Abortion and the exposure and murder of newly born children were common and tolerated. Unnatural vices, which even the greatest philosophers 
practiced, if not advocated, attained proportions which defy description. So that that particular historian, that's from the life and times of Jesus, the Messiah, from Albert Edersham. And you'll find it in chapter 11 if you want to go read it. But uh, this is this is what was going on at that time. Do you know any place where that's going on today? <laughs> well, it's going on in America. And, and we'll see Paul talking about this, perverting the natural use of the woman and the man doing the same thing. I mean, you can just read the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. It tells you Italy was living through a fever of moral disintegration. An incoherence which assails all civilized society that are rich in the manifold resources of culture and enjoyment, but tolerate few or no restraints on the feverish struggle of contending appetites. Appetites. What appetites? Polybius talked about them, where people had developed an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the means of the rule of force. In other words, legal charity. Legal charity was the cause of this social breakdown of society at that time in Rome. And if you knew your history, you would know any society that implements legal charity, that's charity by the state, by the, where the state becomes your benefactor and the state exercises authority one over the other to provide those benefits, institutes the rule of force and violence to take away from one citizen to give to another citizen. If you do that, your society will degenerate. Polybius had told it to us. Moses had told it to us. Peter talks about it in the New Testament through covetous practices, desiring those benefits by taking, you know, through the power of the civil government to exercise authority and take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits, whether your neighbor be in Gaul or your neighbor be down the street. Your society will degenerate. The social bonds that come from a society that operates by faith, hope, and charity will disintegrate because you won't need your neighbor. You will need government. You will become addicted to government. And you will want to give it more and more power. You'll want to elect a leader who is very strong and powerful and give him the power to fix things for you. Even though in Samuel 8, it tells you he will take and take and take and take and take and take and take. Because he'll be corrupted by the power. If not him, his successors. Saul was corrupted. David was corrupted, but he kept repenting. But David's sons, Solomon instituted a corvi again. A system of tribute. Where the people's labor was now, like in the bondage of Egypt would belong to the government. Do you know any nations where your labor, the labor of its citizens, belongs to the government? Do you know any nations that do that? Maybe I should ask, do you know any nations that do not do that? 
You see, all the nations of the world have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. They have returned to the bondage of Egypt. And they have done this while bishops were doing wicked things behind closed doors. While pastors were making millions upon millions of dollars. Some pastors. <laughs> and the, the lesser pastors were still promoting the idea that you go to the government to get your benefits. That wasn't the case in early America. That wasn't the case in early Rome. That wasn't the case in Judea before Herod. Now, they, they were looking to the government to provide you know, some sort of commander-in-chief to protect them from foreign invasion, well, that may be where it began. And maybe the, you know, in the case of Solomon, he had civilian work projects where he took the labor of the people, conscripted thousands of people to work for free for his government to to create civil works, buildings, building projects. You know, whether it was roads or buildings or whatever. Rome was doing this, but they were clever enough to kill those Gauls and sell them into slavery to build these things back in Rome. Later, they would kill Romans. But then they would take political factions. That's just what you'll eventually see. Is, do you know any country where one political faction is attacking another political faction? And even confiscating all their property so that they can, that money would go into that government, like maybe New York. <laughs> it's happening. And it's happening because they have killed care in the hearts of the people. This is their goal, to kill care. You've heard me talk about that before. That was a play at, at some gathering in the woods that... Alex Jones came upon uh, the Bohemian Grove. That was the name of the play, Kill Care. This is what they want to do. What kills care more than anything else? What undermines the family more than anything else? It's legal charity. Read our article, Cloward and Pivot. Read our article on social welfare. It has destroyed the black community, broke down the family, went from 3% back at the turn of the century, 1900, just 40 years after slavery. 3% of the children were raised in single-parent families to 75% today. What you're seeing is the decline and fall of the new Roman Empire because we made wrong turns. And repenting is about turning around and going back. How far do we go back? You know, some people are changing. I'm not going to be a Democrat anymore. I'm going to be a Republican. Those Democrats are bankrupting us. I heard the figure yesterday. $451 billion are spent annually by the government of the United States alone. $451 billion. This came out of Congress. On illegal aliens. And uh, some 
asylum seekers, but it's mostly illegal aliens. Also heard that tens of thousands of Chinese military age young men, you know, they they have to leave China. They have to get on a boat, leave China, go somewhere in Mexico or South America, then get up to the border and cross the border. Tens of thousands are crossing the border into the United States and disappearing. (laughs) What is going on? Where is the enemy? Is he across the sea? Or is he right, is the enemy at the gates? Is the enemy running your country? Well, of course, you can't do anything about it. Because you've dissolved the social bands that made America great. I heard people talking about, and I actually had people calling me, talking about family members that want to join a militia somewhere. Absolutely a futile effort unless you do what Christ said first. Because you have to develop those social bonds that, that bind the people together through faith, hope, and charity. To real care. If you just gather with people who want to survive or want to, you know, fight the enemy, you're just, you're just headed for disaster and destruction. You, you're gonna, you're gonna live by the sword? No, you have to live by righteousness. We're in this mess all over the world because somebody's got the crazy idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. That idea is the Corbin of the Pharisees. It became the Corbin, literally the Corbin of Rome. And it began to break down the social bonds of Rome, break down the family. And they knew, Tacitus even knew, that that's what made our family, our nation strong, was strong families. Because that's where your society, that's where your nation is born. Nation, Gentile, means people. People are born in the family. If people are born outside of the family, we're just talking to somebody the other day uh, about brothers who are, you know, now in their 60s and they have nothing. They never got married. They never had families. And they are totally dependent upon a government check coming in to keep them alive. They're not necessarily bad guys. But we say, well, where was their family? Well, their father died when they were very young and they were raised by a mother and an aunt. So what, what happened? So they never had a family. They weren't raised with a man in the house. Of course, that men are bad things, right? Men are toxic. No, no, they're not. It, from the beginning, it was man and woman. Male and female. It's an essential part of the natural law. If you stray from that formula, you're going to get a different result. One and one make two. In the case of procreation, one and one makes tens of thousands. (laughs) Eventually. But if you break that natural bond, then society itself will degenerate. Because all of society is built on the strength of the family. That was known in history. I could go through hundreds and hundreds of quotes. We actually have a page called Family. And you can go to that and you'll see all these different things. And you'll also see what was going on. Exact same time. 
where there was a whole society that was had no emperor, had no king. Thousands of people could muster an army overnight with no king, no emperor, no commander-in-chief, and defeat an organized, well-trained military that outnumbered them, had better equipment than them, better supply lines than them. They could defeat them down to the last man. And why could they do that? Because their families were still strong. That's where you have to strengthen society. That's where you have to turn back. And then once you got the families whole again or working on that process, then you gather the way the early church gathered, the way uh, Moses gathered the people, and even the way that Abraham was gathering the people in small networks of congregations that cared not just about themselves, but cared about the next one. There was no denominations. There was the denomination of God, the denomination of Christ, which meant that you had to keep the commandments, which we will see Jesus bringing up. And we'll look at those commandments in greater depth so that you realize that everywhere, in every church, every nation, Israel over there, they have the Torah, they have the commandments in the Torah, that nation that we call Israel over there that's embroiled in a battle supposedly for its survival. We've all, we're all embroiled in that battle. Whether, but how are we, what is the full armor of God? Are they putting on the full armor of God or are they straying from the formula that Moses gave them? Because Moses defeated the Egyptians without invading Egypt. <laughs> how did he do that? If I think if they trust more in the ways of God, because right now in Israel, great nation, it is breaking every single one of the Ten Commandments as a matter of policy. You don't believe that? Well, we'll have to look at that, too, <laughs> as we continue with Keys of the Kingdom. But we'll have to go to another break, and then we'll be back. Looking at this uh, Matthew 19, which is really, Jesus went right back after them. People don't realize what an, uh, uh, they were trying to trip him up with this divorce. Because this was a real controversial thing at that time because divorce was on the rise. Abortion was on the rise. Exposing a child so that it might die is on the rise. It is in America, too. They're talking about children, even after they're born, just setting them aside and letting them die. That the woman has a right to decide to let the child die even after it is born. If she doesn't want to accept it. These ideas have come in because of a hundred years of legal charity in America. Legal charity is a covetous practice that will make the word of God to none effect, just as it was at the time of the Pharisees in Herod, who had set up a similar system. And we have articles showing you exactly how those systems were operating, enough so that you can see that America has done the same thing and gone the sa down the same path. 
And now you have all kinds of people going to church thinking they're following. They believe in Jesus. But they're doing the absolute opposite of what Jesus was saying. They are putting other men in the seat of Moses. They are not operating a system of faith, hope, and charity according to the way of Christ. They're not doing it. And we need to operate in that fashion. And we need to go back to that. That is what repenting is all about, is to go back to that. So we see the same pattern that we saw in Judea and Rome, even amongst the women, it says, and I'm quoting here, even amongst the women, there were symptoms of revolt against the older order, the way in which we used to do it, which showed itself in a growing freedom of manners and impatience of control. The marriage tie was relaxed. That's Encyclopedia Britannica again. This is what they were doing, and they were doing it because they had rejected the doctrines of Moses and certainly the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And so the disciples started to ask him in verse 10, his disciples say unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. They're not talking about marry at all. This is some people use this to promote celibacy. No, that's not what they're saying. They're talking about in the case of a man putting away his wife, it's better that he not marry again a second time. And he says, but he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which are so born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men. I mean, they were castrating men in the, the Gallic Wars. They would either kill them or castrate them and sell them into slavery. If they were sold into slavery in North Africa, they castrated all the male slaves. That was very common to castrate the male slaves. So those are made eunuchs by men. That's not a good thing. He says, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Because it was the custom that if a man died and left a widow, somebody would marry that widow and take care of her. That's how they took care of the widow. They didn't put them on social security or welfare. Somebody else married them and took care of them unless they were absolutely perverted and nobody wanted to marry them. <laughs> well, this is a, a, a social discipline where people decided that they wanted to be a certain way that they would be pleasing to their husbands or to their wives. And just to give you just a, a, a brief accounting of this, uh, if you go to our page on family, uh, which is the Roman view of the two times, which a lot of it is written by Tacitus. There are other sources that I have. Tacitus never went to the Germanic tribes, to the Teuton tribes. But, uh, like he, he, he said that, that the healthy moral traditions of early Rome 
were maintained by the discipline of the family, resting on upon the supreme authority of the father, the patria potestas. Now, a lot of people would object to that. Supreme authority of the father, I can, and we've done shows on it, the executive order signed by the president of the United States, saying that the government was the supreme authority. And, and there's actually statutes in Title 15 that refer to the patria potestas, parents patria, where the state is the father. And of course, Jesus will say, call no man on earth father. Don't take the responsibilities that are within the natural family and place them on the government. The education of the children, as he says here, the training of the child was entrusted to the woman. This was a sacred trust. But the women take the children down and turn them over to the state. And you say, you train my child. You teach my child. Not the way that God intended it. Not the way that it worked to raise Rome up. Not the way it worked when it raised America up. Most children did not go to public education. But most Americans could read. Our, our, our rate of literacy at the time of the American Revolution is higher than it is today. And that wasn't public school doing that. There were some private schools, but mostly it was the responsibility of the wives. But, of course, we only had 2 or 3% of the families where the children are raised by a single parent. Now, that's always been around, but the numbers, the vast numbers, 60%, 70% in some communities raised by single parent families is destructive. He also writes in talking about the Patronus of the masses and uh, the fathers of the Senate. The senators were called father, patri. The, the emperor was called our father. If you don't know that, it will take away some of the significance of the fact that Jesus says, called no man on earth father, and then teaches him how to pray. Pray our father who art in Rome, in Washington, D.C., in Ontario. Uh, where is your father? Well, we have our natural fathers, and then we have our father in heaven. And, and we see uh, Polybius Tacitus writing, this is in the sense that the matrimonial bonds were strictly observed by the Germanic peoples, this being compared favorably against the licentiousness in Rome. Tacitus appears to hold the fairly strict monogamy uh, between the Germanic husbands and wives and the chastity among the unmarried to be worthy of the highest praise that they guarded their chastity of their lives, he goes on to write, with no shows to entice them nor orgies to excite their evil passions to men and women alike such things as secret correspondence was unknown amongst all this immense race population uh, adultery is extremely rare a woman becomes a wife 
with a wife's hopes and wishes once and once only, to the end that she may not look beyond him nor let her desires stray further, to limit the number of the family, or to put to death any of the later born infants is held to be an abomination. With the Germans, good customs have more authority than good laws elsewhere. So, their customs were lawful. Their families were strong. And like I said, there, there were, were no orphans. If a if a, if two parents died, people, another whole family adopted them, not the grandmother on welfare, or an aunt getting government subsidies for every child she takes in. Because that's what happens. People are paid by the state to take in the orphans. They're given money. Foster care. All these things. It changes the nature of society. And, and, and it changes the nature of men and women. Until you come to a point where you do not know what a man is and what a woman is. And that's where we're at. You know, the Daily Wire is coming out with some comedy show. I don't know if I could even watch it. I know that they're trying to make fun of it, and I understand the the psychology behind that. But why are they not more... Why don't they make the connection? Because I don't hear them saying it. That it is... This system of welfare, social welfare by the state, is the legal charity of society that is destroying America, destroying Australia, destroying Europe, destroying China. Actually, the oppression that comes from the leaders of China is actually, there is a movement in China where people are starting, because of the oppression, where they're starting to come back to the essentials. But America is drugged with its benefits, with its welfare. But it's overspending. And you have no control. You have to repent and go back to what the early church was doing. They, and what early, what Israel was doing when it was still in the bondage of Egypt. They weren't going to get any more benefits from the Pharaoh. He was cutting them off. They had to still pay their tally of bricks, but they had to provide for one another. They were still need for welfare. People still got sick. People still died. And then that that journey across the desert, it was hard. People had to care about one another. They were forming the bonds of a free nation. We are dissolving them with a hundred years of legal charity. And that's why you have the divorce. It isn't because somebody relaxed the laws. Because it's not written in your heart. It's not written in your heart because you've accepted a lie. And the lie is that it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other, even though Christ said it was not to be that way with you. So, now we have where they bring them the little children in verse 13. 
then there were brought unto him little children. Now remember just in a few chapters earlier, he actually says, unless you become like a little child, he puts a little child in front of everybody, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now they're bringing little children to him, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people that were doing this because they thought it was too hard on Jesus. And Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not. Permit. When he says suffer, that's the word for permit. Little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. So this is a repeat that you have to be able to accept the truth that Christ is saying like a little child. Like Abba, Father. But what I'm saying to you about the kingdom is not what you've been taught for years and has now become ingrained in your minds. You say, "Uh, no, all I have to do is believe in Jesus. No, you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in a false Christ that has been created by pastors who get well paid to tickle your ears. I am not well paid to tickle yours. I'm counting on a different paymaster, which is, we're coming up to that too. <laughs> and he said, and he laid his hands on them and departed thence. So now he's departed from this. He Now, did they leave or did he leave? But anyway, it says in verse 16, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, I put in the word here, good master, because that's what they have there. But in, in a lot of the early texts that we have, the word good is not there. And, and, and that particular word good is agathos. It, it's a Greek word, agathos, which is most often translated good or a good thing, but it's also translated benefit. And uh, he's he's saying good master, and it's reasonable that that word should be there. I don't know why it isn't in a lot of the text, in the original text, but it is in some of the original text, and they put it here because later on Jesus is going to say, as you're going to see why he calls me good. So, if you took that out, then where did Jesus get the idea that he was called good? He was called master by the guy. But that's a different word for master. Because Jesus said, call no man master. Don't be called master. And other verses. But in this one is didaskalos. Uh, which is like the didachi. You know, it means teacher. And of course, at the time of the King James translation of this particular uh you know text a teacher was a master called a master in english he was a master of greek or he was a master of history and he, he was given you know it's like we have a master's degree today it's not a master like a slave owner but he's saying good teacher what good thing using the same word shall i do that I may have eternal life. And what did Jesus answer? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. 
But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And we can see that Rome is in the process of dying. Judea is in the process of dying because they are not keeping the commandment. They are coveting one another's goods and using their civil government in order to take away from their neighbor to provide them with welfare. David talks about this. What should have been for your welfare has become a snare. Proverbs talks about it. The one purse is a snare. The dainties of rulers, the benefits of rulers is a snare and a trap. They tell you this over and over again. When FDR offered you the dainties of rulers, I'm going to give you stuff, food, money, welfare, provided by men who exercise authority by the rulers of the United States. You should have said, no, that's a snare and a trap. Because it tells you in Proverbs, it tells you in Psalms. Paul says it, quoting David. How come you don't know it's a snare and a trap? Now, how does the snare and a trap work? It works by weakening you and addicting you to the benefits of government. You probably don't think it is possible to take care of all the needy of society through faith, open charity. Well, it is possible with a society that is living by faith, open charity. Because if that society were living by faith, open charity, Christ would be there too. But if you're not going to live by faith, open charity, you're going to go to men who exercise authority and live by force and fear and fealty, subjecting your neighbor to the rulers of your county, of your state, of your nation, so that you can have free stuff, you will be delivered back into the bondage of Egypt. Because you're trying to make your neighbor a slave to your desires, to your licentiousness. If I may use a word that Tacitus used to describe Romans, I will use that to describe Americans. U.S. citizens are licentious. They want benefits at other people's expense. That is not following Christ. That is certainly not loving your neighbor as yourself. Can you see the problem here? So Jesus says, if you want to even just enter into life, because right now you're in death if you're not doing what he says, which is keep the commandments. Jesus says keep the commandments. I know the pastors out there say we don't have to keep the commandments today. We can try, but we don't have to do it because we're saved because we believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you'll keep the commandments. He says that later in John. If you love me, you will keep the commandments. If you're not keeping the commandments, that's evidence you don't really love Jesus Christ. Because love of Jesus Christ works. It will help you keep the commandments. He saith unto him which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Can't be killing innocent people. You know, you can kill in self-defense, but... How many innocent people are you killing? Well, you can't, you can't do that. You can't murder innocent people. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
most of the adultery that they talk about in the Bible, now he just talked about adultery, but most of the adultery he talk, they talk about in the Bible is national adultery. It's not adultery with another wife or, you know, a prostitute, but it is with a harlot, a harlot that rides the beast. It's the false church. It's false religion that sends you to public religion instead of providing pure religion. Pure religion is providing for the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity unspotted by the constitutional orders of government. Because the word they use, their world, when they say unspotted by the world, means constitutional order or government. But that's not the way modern Christians operate. But modern Christians mostly are not real Christians. They can repent. And I'm only telling this so that you might be saved. Not only in the next world, but in this world. Which is quickly moving towards destruction. And you need to start actually keeping the commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not ask men to go to your neighbor's house to take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. You will simply not do that. You can go to all the churches you want. You can sing all the songs that you want. But you're not praising Christ. I added to our page on what praise is. You're not worshiping God. We have extensive articles on what worship actually looks like. But what America what Australia, what the Christians in all these countries are doing doesn't look like not coveting your neighbor's goods. It actually looks like they're all coveting their neighbor's goods. And they're bearing false witness about what Christ actually said. The young man saith unto him, all these things I have kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now, that's a big question, but I think we're coming on a break here. <laughs> uh, just looking at my clock here. So we'll be right back. We're getting through a lot of our technical difficulties because of the power outages and the windstorms. But there's a big storm coming <laughs> that... Uh, we may not be able to recover from so easily, but Christ is showing us the way. We need to follow what he actually is saying, which is not the same as what we're hearing in a lot of churches that have delivered the whole world back into the bondage of Egypt that is eroding away the moral character of society, eroding away society itself, uh, where we're now killing people say, well, we have to stop abortion. Well, if you want to stop abortion, stop all legal charity. Now, obviously, you're not going to vote that in because most people want legal charity. They want welfare. They want food stamps. They want their student loans paid off. They want, they want, they want because they're licentious. 
They desire. They're avarice. They have an appetite. They become, like Polybius called them, perfect savages. They will even run into stores and just steal everything they can. Break the windows, go in and steal and steal and steal. And they think nothing of it. They laugh. They think it's funny. And and they're destroying livelihoods. And they think it's funny. Because you've taken a wrong turn a hundred years ago in America and now you're reaping the rewards and it's going to get far, far, far worse. The solution, though, has to be going back to where you made that wrong turn and start over again where you made that wrong turn. Just going back a little. You want to go back to 1959? Not far enough. (laughs) You want to go back to 1935? Not far enough. Actually, you need to go way back (laughs) because... There's been a great deal of wrong turns. The farther back you go, the better off you are. But certainly you have to go back to what Christ is telling the people in Judea at that time. And now we have a guy who says he's been keeping the commandments. And he may well have been keeping the commandments. There were people who did not sign up for Herod's and the Pharisees' Corbett. We know that. Some of the apostles had never signed up for that. They were idiotes. We have an article. Are Christians idiots? That's a that's a sneak. Come on. You can go look that up and read it. But they were idiotes, it says in the Bible. But what does idiotes mean? What did that mean? Well, you can find that for extra credit. <laughs> but, so, this guy was keeping the commandments. And he says, What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, that means completed. That means finished. You know, to to go all the way. Because he was just telling him, keep the commandments if you want to enter into life. Head towards life. Because if you're not keeping the commandments, you're heading towards death. If you're murdering thousands of people, or you have agents murdering thousands of people on your behalf, you're, you're, and you're living by the sword, you're going, going to reap destruction. It's, it's gonna come. Eventually it's gonna come. If, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, you will be made merchandise. And of course, most people have already been made merchandise. There's human resources. We call them human resources. We don't call them merchandise. But they don't own their labor. They don't own their land. We show this all in the covenants of the gods and the books that we have for free online. You can read it. And like I said, I've taken you know some of the legal aspects of this to the top lawyers in America. To to really knowledgeable lawyers in America, and they agree that what I'm saying is true. But you're, they're not going to like me. But they didn't like Christ. Not that I'm Christ by any shape. Or, 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 or means, I'm just I'm just a poor shepherd in the in the wilderness, crying, "Make straight the way of the Lord." And and you need to do that. All of our all of our web pages, all of our you know newsletters, uh, join the network. All that's free. We don't charge anything for that. 
we we don't monetize our YouTube or any of that stuff. We make it all available for free. But it's not for free. It'll cost you your delusions. So he wants to know what would make him perfect. What will complete him? What more can he do other than simply uh, keep the commandments? Which is a big thing. That's how you enter into life. But he says, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And point out that he says, sell all that thou hast. The word there, thou hast, means property. Sell all your property. Now, we're going to come back and visit that in several other places. What did Christ mean by that? Because if he's going to follow Christ, he's going to become one of Christ's disciples. And disciples mean students. So whenever you see them referring to a disciple, that's not somebody he just taught a little bit to. It's actually one of his students. One of his Padawans. And they actually have a Hebrew word that almost sounds like Padawan. I think that's where they got the word Padawan from Hebrew. But those were student ministers that Jesus was going to, I'm going to appoint the kingdom to my little flock, his his disciples. And, but they were, they were to serve. They were going to be the, the authorities, the, the corporate body of the kingdom. See, all government is based on the corporate body of the family, which Jesus said at the beginning of this chapter. No more twain. You got two or more people gathered together as if they are one person under a pre-existing authority. That's a corporation. That is the definition of a corporation. Two or more people gathered together under a pre-existing authority as if it was one person. That is a corporation. The family is the corporation of God. That was the institution of God. We don't use the word corporation. We use the word family. But there's another thing that Christ created. And we see God creating it with Moses. The Levites were called out. They owned all things common. They had no personal estate, no land that they owned in their own name except within this Levite body. Because the Levites, all belonging to God, became a corporate entity under the authority of God. But they were unhewn stones of the altar, so they did not exercise authority one over the other. They worked together with Profound social bonds under the authority of God. And some men can do that. All men should not. Other men should be married and be capitalists. Because Christ is clearly a capitalist in the stories that he gives. Is it not lawful to do with mine own what I will? Which we'll see in the next chapter. You you give in dominion. You have a right to your labor. You have a right. These are inalienable rights endowed by God upon you. Which allows you to own your labor and own what your labor produces. If you take a piece of wood and you carve it into a flute, it has more value to people than just a piece of wood. If you just give somebody a stick, what's he going to give you? A penny for a stick? But if you 
carve it into a flute or clarinet, he might give you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Why? What's he giving that to you for? Your labor. That's yours. You can sell your labor. You made a flute worth a hundred dollars. He gives you a hundred dollars. There's no gain. You spent the, you spent the labor. But if you don't own your labor and you do that, now there's gain. Somebody else has a right to take a portion of your labor. That's what you've done. And we've got articles that explain that. But he, he's going to give up everything, all those, that property, and this was important in the days of the Levites, so that he could claim to be belong to God and then provide a service for everybody else in the kingdom. He's going to be a government of servants. They're not men who exercise authority. They're not a government of power. They're going to return the power to every individual like Moses was doing. Returning the courts to the people. Returning the the way in which to provide for your social welfare with your altar of Jehovah Nisi and, and your other altars. You were to take care of that and the responsibility was with the individual families. And this is why in the Wycliffe Bible it says this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Because if you give your responsibilities to other men, they will move from being representatives to becoming lawmakers. They will spend your money while it is still in your pocket. Everybody had money who has money in the I have, actually have no money in my pockets but uh, so I can't use me but if you had money in your pocket you know the the money of the realm today it was worth more at the beginning of the show than it is right now and it's decreasing in value they're spending the money in your pocket now because you made a wrong turn over a hundred years ago and you decided not to have just weights and measures, but to call debt money. <laughs> crazy, crazy. So this guy is expected to sell all he has. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions and he couldn't give them up. And Jesus goes on to say, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And if we have time, we'll come back and visit that. Because there, there's a lot written about that and there's a lot of conjecture. Uh, and I, I will share with you what God has shared with me in the last few days. I've known about it for a long time, but I actually picked up more information. But he goes on in verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. I mean, like, this was, this took them back, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them with men this is impossible but with God all things are possible 
And so this is, this is a critical thing and how that pans out. We could go into that. Maybe we'll talk about it more on the afternoon show. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses and brethren and sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. Again, name has to do with the character of Christ, has to do with the purpose of Christ has to do with the identity of Christ. For my identity, for my purpose sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now, that that phrase will show up time and time again. There's lots of different places where we see that phrase show up. It's certainly here in Matthew 19.30, but it's also in Matthew 20.16 and 23.12 and Mark 10.31, Luke uh, 13.30. So it's it's repeated over and over again and sometimes in different ways. Like we'll see it in Luke 22.26. And when Christ appoints the kingdom, he, he expresses the same idea. I believe that in part, in this particular verse... What he is also talking about is taking the kingdom away from the Pharisees. The Jews were the first. And and we'll see that because he's going to go right into that in chapter 20. That is talking about the, the householder who in the morning he hires somebody at the beginning to work the vineyards. Because Israel was to be priests to all nations. Now the Israel over there today, lots of good people over there. But the reality is, is they're not teaching people the way of Moses. Like I said in the show, they they violate almost every single one of the Ten Commandments and all kinds of the statutes of Moses as a matter of policy. If they would just go back to what Moses actually taught, they wouldn't be having the trouble that they're having today. They wouldn't be having it nearly to the degree that they're going to have it in the future for what's going on over there. Now, I'm not saying they can't defend themselves. I'm not saying that if the Palestinians were to follow the ways of Moses, they wouldn't be having the problem that they're having today. If Americans were to follow the way of Moses, they would find themselves in accord with Christ. But the problem today is most people don't know what Moses was really doing, which is why we've already done Exodus. And you can go back and study that and find out what Moses was really up to, what Abraham was really up to, what the difference between those societies and our society. Because those practices that we are pursuing are destroying America. And well on the way to doing it. 
we've already leaped off a 50-story building and just we're flapping our arms, but we're going to hit the sidewalk here. But God can hold you up. God can save you. But you have to repent and turn that repentance into action. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I was listening to, you know, we had the Elon Musk talking about, well, then don't advertise. And he said it in very clear terms as to why he thought, because the people are trying to, a bunch of woke advertisers all got together and were going to try to squeeze him. And he says, I'm not giving in. (laughs) And I I heard other people, you know, a lot of people are going to uh, subscriptions to support their ministries or their businesses, you know, pool and and uh, Daily Wire, they're all going to the subscriptions uh, rather than simply advertising. Well, we don't advertise and we don't have subscription because we're following the pattern of Christ. We're de- entirely dependent upon our own labor and free will offerings. But we don't want you to give free will offerings into a central place like the Red Cross does that has a CEO that's pulling down 500, half a million dollars a year. We don't want you to do that. I guess it's more than a half a million dollars a year. But uh, we want you to do it like the early church did it because that's your FEMA. That's your faith emergency ministry auxiliary. That you gather together in small congregations. People say, well, I want a congregation that's not just online. I want an actual physical congregation. Well, join one online, get together, and you become our advertisers. You share these broadcasts, these podcasts, these web pages that take thousands of hours of work. You share them with other people who have not heard the gospel. Because it's becoming more and more evident that something's rotten in the world today. And what it is, is that we've all abandoned the way. That's what Christianity was called. We have our denominations with our little pet doctrines, but they aren't the doctrine of Christ. And this is what we're showing you, little bit by little bit. Uh, actually, some of you, it might have seemed like a lot we just shared. <laughs> but but uh, there's a lot more to come. So, you know, we have over there in the side, side panels, you know, article on potestas which is power. It's not the power that we see mentioned in Romans 13. But in sort of it, it is. Because in Romans 13 it says, let every man remain subject to the higher power. And in the Greek there, the exousia means, it's a word that is often translated liberty in the Bible. And it's considered by many Greek scholars to be the strongest word in the Greek language for liberty. So what Paul actually said is let every man remain subject to the higher liberty because all liberty is of God and there is no liberty but of God and anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. So if you oppose your neighbor's right to choose whether to support your public school or your neighbor's right to choose whether to give you a welfare check or to take care of your parents, if you oppose the liberty of that choice, then you want to make a slave of your neighbor and you will become a slave. And have already. Where you're in a worse condition 
than the bondage of Egypt where you only had to pay in 20% of what you produced. But people don't want to admit that. It's right there. It's it's right in, it's staring you in the face. And if your pastors aren't telling you this, you need to tell your pastors. And then when you get kicked out, you come and join the network. <laughs> and they, you get more and more people to start joining that network and actually start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you will build it. And you will be there in the building of it. Because you have to create the network. You have to go out and call the others. We had sheep that strayed up the side of the mountain, uh, and we there was some black-faced sheep in in our herd that we had left in there, part of descendants of Korah, and uh, they'd gone up where I know wolves had been, and I could go up there and try to herd them all the way back. What I did was I herded the whole flock up on the hill, <laughs> and when the whole flock got near those, then they went and they came back in and joined. Well, you're the whole flock. If you're beginning to see this, share it with others. But you're going to need to know how to share it and you're going to need to know the revelation of God for yourself. If you're beginning to see what I'm talking about, that's probably revelation. Because intellectual information, even though I give you lots of facts, is not going to be enough. So anyway, on the side panel, we talk about covetous practice. I have an article there. Social welfare, we have an article there. Masses, that's a term that Polybius uses. When the masses desire the benefits, we have an article there, divide. What we show you the statistical references and the whole history of Cloward and Piven and all these people targeting LBJ's Great Society, targeting the black community, which is why the black community has broke down so that you have 75% of the homes with single parents and you have large numbers of black kids breaking into stores and just stealing stuff and running out because they don't have fathers. Their father is the state. They've become perfect savages. Not because they're black but because people targeted them and poisoned their communities. Because it wasn't that way in the black community. Which is why I'm a, a, a very fond of Thomas Sowell who points this out, because facts matter to him. So we go through all these different, you know, verses 16 to 19, but be not ye called rabbi, is what we see there in the text. But here we have this other word, master. There's another word that is also translated Master Kathagidis. And uh, that's in, I think, Matthew 23. Also in verse 10. But this is, this like Didachi, the master, the this teacher. And so Jesus was a master in that way. But like Moses, he did not want to rule over the people. He wanted them to come and gather in love and choice. And that's what we have to do. And this is why he said what he said to the the Levites, which when we talk about Hoses and other Levites, we will understand that more. But we're out of time. So there's lots of other links there on the page. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom 
with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.